HVAC 360 is brought to you today by the U.S. Postal Service. Ever want to deliver a physical piece of paper but don't want to have it delivered right away? Can't get enough of those out-of-date catalogs to help keep your kitchen table from wobbling? Want to send Granny a thank you note for those great gifts but she isn't online and she doesn't text? Well, we can help you with all those needs. In the age of Amazon Prime and electronic delivery, the U.S. Postal Service simply wants to remind you, and especially those millennials out there, that, hey, we're, we're still here. The U.S. Postal Service. We still deliver. Hey, what's up? Welcome back. This is episode number 111. Matt Nelson here, your host for HVAC 360, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. How do we do that? Well, we do that by sharing lessons learned and by talking with industry experts. But we don't stop there. I want to encourage you to, as always, to double down on your weekly dose of HVAC knowledge by hopping on over to HVAC360.com and join my growing community of people just like you. Um, want to remind you as well as enrollment is still open for the HVAC 360 membership site. Uh, open right now at a deep discount for a limited number of people for a limited amount of time. So visit the website today and sign up. All right, so what's up for this week? This week we're going to talk to Joe Dank. He's a principal over at Dank & Associates, and he also is a member of of the Ohio State Board of Building Standards. So these usually, these boards exist, and we talk a little bit about this in the program. These exist not only here in the U.S., but elsewhere around the globe. And there's always, like I said, there's always some board approving the rules. Um, and you really need to know that because these are the rules that you design by. Uh, also important to note, and always remember, that these are usually the minimal acceptable standards. You can always go above and beyond that. A lot of engineers have a little bit of you know, reservation uh, because they think that going beyond these, uh, beyond these rules, uh, the code, is, means that a project is going to be more expensive. And even though in some cases that may be true, some cases it's really worth it. So you have to understand where that baseline is. And we talk about how different states here in the U.S. Uh, go about doing that. So your process may be similar, but it's always uh, important to you know have an idea of when changes are occurring, how to stay on top of these changes, uh, because uh, sometimes big changes can really sneak up on you and you know, you leave you in a bad spot when you're designing your next project. So without further ado, let's cut to the tape with Joe Dank. All right, today we're going to be talking to uh, Joe Dank, who's the Principal of Dank Associates. He's also a member of the Ohio Board of Building Standards and the chairman of the Code Committee. Uh, long list of uh, long list of titles there, Joe. But uh, thanks for coming on the uh, show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So, I guess tell me a little bit about your professional background. I graduated from Case Western Reserve University in 1984, and I went from there, and I started with General Motors. I was an international sales engineer, completely unrelated to the building industry. And I did that for a couple of years. And my father had started our firm 
and it was the 1980s. You're supposed to be an entrepreneur back then. That was a lot of the talk, right? And uh, so I thought I should give it a try. He seemed to really like it. I thought at some point in time, I probably should give that a try. And that was 33 years ago. Here I am. Wow. So I guess, can you tell me what is the Ohio Board of Building Standards? The board has 15 members that are appointed by the governor and they're confirmed by the Senate. And, and it's part of the Department of Commerce. And the board's responsible for formulating the rules and the codes governing governing construction in the state. And the board also certifies and supervises building departments and those personnel in those departments and also maintains education courses and instruction on the same codes. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it does, it does cover quite a bit um, in there. Now, I mean, is this, is this something that's typical across all the, uh, the U.S. states? I think many states with any significant amount of building activity do have a board of building standards or the equivalent. I think there are a few that, that are, by legislature, uh, obligated to adopt the latest version of the International Code. So they just take it in without any modifications and they stay current with whatever is released at the time that it's released. So how did you get involved with the board? I was, I, my first term, I'm on my third term, time flies. Um, I originally replaced a member who, who passed away during his term and wasn't able to complete it. And a Cleveland area contractor who was hoping to, you know, have somebody that they could reach out to and, 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 maybe get some first-hand information, they nominated me for a position on the board. Oh, so so it's a, it's a nomination process, and how long are the terms? They're, they're three-year terms, and I just started my third one, in fact, in October of this year, so very recently. Okay. And now, uh, do, do they... Do board members receive any sort of, you know, I, I don't know, any sort of monetary compensation for their activity or their all the time spent? We're not volunteers. Um, it, it's not a significant pay, but we have meetings on Thursdays and Fridays typically, and the state will reimburse you for travel and for an overnight stay. If you're not, you know, a member or two might be closer to Columbus than I am in Cleveland. Um, and then we're paid for an eight-hour day for each of the Thursday and Fridays that we meet. So it's it's a reasonable amount. It is, it's not like you have to personally come out of pocket for all the meetings for, you know, these three-year terms. Right. Now, and, and obviously it's 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 a not a, it's not sort of a, like a money-making venture. It is, it is just kind of compensation, and you probably put in uh, a lot more work than, than, than you get out of it. But now, how often do these, the, the board uh, meet? We, we meet about every six weeks, um, except we're entering another code cycle here. So the code committee will meet maybe as many as six more days throughout the year to review that code, something like that. Um, it's never anything typical. If the code doesn't change much, we won't meet much. When the recession came, we skipped a code cycle just because there was enough going on or not going on in the overall economy that introducing another code and all the education and costs that are sort of tied into that, we took a break, which meant we had to go through two code cycles, um, 2012 and 2015. So that was a little bit atypical, took us a bit more time. 
But I, I would expect we'll meet about six more days in this next year putting things together. Now, uh, now, obviously, you you talked about the term being three years, and that that does that coincide with the code cycles then? Because I aren't those about three years? They, I'll, I'll, it seems many people would like them to be three years. There's also a push for five years as being an adequate cycle. You know, between printing costs and education and everything else, um, I don't know that we've settled on a on a term for sure. And I think it's subject to change. I don't believe we have any legislative directive on what we have to do. So, so it does way in there. I think. Does it, does it, but does it line up with those code cycles that the, uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, it, it does. Yep. So now you talked about the, uh, the code committee that you're the chairman of, um, how many other, uh, subcommittees, uh, or committees does the board have? There's a certification committee and they have direct oversight of building personnel and building departments. And, and then and that settles disputes that might occur and certifies those departments, mean, makes sure that they're maintaining the proper protocol and procedures and all of that. And there's also an education committee, and that committee reviews continuing education course applications and also performs some of the education seminars for the various building officials throughout the state. Now that education committee, the um, the um, is that is that primarily for the uh, uh, different uh, you know uh, inspection uh, boards out there or inspection? Uh... The the plan reviewers and the inspectors are required to maintain a certain amount of continuing education hours, just like we are for professional engineers, and so they. Those courses are made available to them, and they're obligated for a certain number of hours per year to, to maintain their certification. Okay. Um, so I, I guess uh, what is the process now? I mean, we talked about the code cycles. What's the process for Ohio when a new standard you know, comes around? What happens, and it's starting to happen right now, is the staff, we have an excellent staff. They're extremely knowledgeable with experience of like 20 years and 30 years per person. And so they have this great familiarity with what's going on in codes, what the history of particular items that are in, that are part of national discussion or whatever it might be. So they'll get in the new version of the code and they'll do sort of a pre-read and a pre-edit on it. And they'll queue up for us, for the Board of Building Standards members, the code changes from the existing code that we're using now to the proposed changes that are to come. And so they, they really streamline that process. And, and, you know, we end up with two side-by-side, sort of an overhead PowerPoint kind of a display. It's, uh, it still takes a lot of time, and it's a lot of deep digging, and there's a lot of debate, but that service really gets us going and, and puts us on our feet and heads us in the right direction. So, so there is, a, is there a lot of changes from when you see like an ICC uh, new version come out um, compared to, I mean, obviously there's going to be some changes from um, version to version, but I know that there's also um, uh, different uh, things that different municipalities have, different states, they adopt a standard and they, they make certain amendments, they have certain I don't know, I'd say, you know, certain things that they always kind of change. It's, a, it's not like a wholehearted adoption of that. Is that, is that a typically a case or in there's Ohio? A, there's, a, there's a few 
Ohio amendments that have been made over the years that, that we would want to carry forward. Um, Hocking Hills, as an example, some months ago, they have um, cabins, cabins that you can stay in in sort of a rural setting. And they needed a different classification than the code was going to put them into so that they could continue to offer that without some restrictions on accessibility and some other construction um, sprinklers and exit signs and some of this. And so the state, in deference to that need and recognizing the level of the hazard, that it wasn't significant and, and all that went into it and the importance of the industry to that area, we found it reasonable to reclassify that. So you have these kinds of special treatments and, and there's some other issues like that that have come through the different years and carry forward into the future. And so the staff does include that as well. Now, I, I guess, have, have we always started with the uh, the ICC, um, or has there been kind of a homegrown version, you know, a while back? I think, like, maybe in 1955, there was, Ohio had a homegrown code, and then the Ohio Building Officials Association in 1976 um, requested that they adopt a national model code, and that just, for all states to be using sort of the same, just does make building easier from state to state if you don't have a very unique and specific and different set of regulations. And so in 76, that discussion started, and it, by 79, by July 79, that's when the, if you remember, the OBBC came into being. And then in the late 90s and early 2000s, Ohio migrated to the International Code Council family of codes, and that's what we've been working on ever since or working out of, and, and I think most states do the same. Right. And, and I think that, uh, you know, in, in general, um, you talk about Ohio not necessarily having the, the most current, uh, you know, the latest and greatest code that they've been working on, because um, I know that, uh, what, we've, we've, we're currently at the, what, 2000... We're currently at 2015. 2015, and the current one's 2018. Right. So you, are you looking now to adopt the 2018? With the modifications, that's what we're going to start working on. Okay, excellent. So, And, and I guess it's important to know for people out there um, that these code changes, you know, they're not always current, and then they're kind of, you know, adopted in a process. So you really have to be aware of when codes are coming out and how things uh, change. Now, I, I guess when, when they are in that process, like you're starting now, um, is there any sort of uh, mechanism that allows people to make suggestions, that allows engineers to say, hey, you know what, this part of the code never really worked, and give their well, reason? And, and as a committee, one of the, the first slice of that, and, and I thought it was very good this year, or the last code, rather, the last adoption cycle, we took a good hard look at the fact that um, smoke dampers and shaft penetrations of multi-story buildings, fire dampers are beneficial and important. Smoke dampers are very expensive, and there were some studies that indicated that the smoke promulgation from floor to floor isn't as significant, and so we deleted the requirement for that. And there was a similar treatment for um, louvers at the top of elevator shafts. And then the energy code had an interesting Thing where it was going to require, as an office occupant, you have half of your plugs are 
on a motion detector, and when you're not there, that goes off. It's an energy-saving measure, but you can see where normal human nature would not use that motion detector receptacle, and you would plug your computer into the other one, and you would plug everything else into the other one. So I think you would defeat the purpose. So we eliminated that requirement as well. So it's kind of nice to be able to just bring a little bit of, I don't know, I think of it as more common sense or special consideration to some of the aspects of the code. And and that's the work of the committee and the Board of Building Standards. And then a step beyond that, there's a lot of building trades people and interested building community folks, and they submit on petitions proposed changes. Okay. Petitions get considered as well. And, and, and so that's the public's way of, you know, participating beyond just our committees. Okay, so there's there's uh, petitions, and those are kind of I guess readily available at the uh, if they search for petitions on the Board of Building Standards site, they'd find that. Exactly right. Okay, so I guess um, and um, now obviously the board meets uh, every so often. You know, I guess how are you know is it is it do many people get involved with the the board meetings? We don't have a lot of firsthand participation, although that's possible. The, the committee meetings are all open to the public, as well as the general board meeting is open to the public. Um, there is an electronic notification process, and so an email alert goes out to anyone who's subscribed to that service. And that very nicely reports all the activity of the board in good detail. Proposed rule changes, meeting minutes, um, newsletters, anything that's pretty much going on that'll have an effect on anyone in whatever realm of activity they're they're active in, they'll get that information directly into their email. Okay. So that's that's if if again, if somebody's interested in in knowing when things are happening, not only for meetings, but also, you know, proposed code changes, that's that's something that they, you know, go ahead and look up as well and get signed up for. And that generates some public response, which we also review. You know, that comes into us typically in the form of emails to our executive secretary, either agreeing with something or wanting to see something slightly changed or objecting to something altogether. But those are all, that's all input that the committee then goes through and the board considers for, you know, adoption or, or not. Right now, is that is that something that they they formally re, you know reply to saying yes we agree or no we didn't agree? Um, is that in like meeting minutes or you just respond directly or or how are those handled? Um, I think of it as a courtesy. You know, we're public servants, and so I I feel that anybody who takes the time and care to offer a suggestion, they do get a response of you know what of some sort, whether it's an email or you know, some, some sort of action on their motion. So that's something I think the board does a very good job of making sure uh, there's a lot of activity on the board and, and there's a lot of input. So it would be easy to not give it the attention that it's due, but it, it's one of the nice things the board does a pretty good job at. And that is, you know, really making sure that any public comment is considered reasonably and then responded to. Excellent. So, I mean, we talked about a whole bunch of stuff here, and, you know, I guess, uh, is there anything that we haven't covered about, um, you know, the Board of Building Standards? Um, 
you know, it, it seems to me one of my overriding thoughts and like sort of a global from this, my start of being an engineer until now, we're so regulated anymore, right? Whether it's green communities or lead. It, when I started, you could sort of design to a large extent whatever you thought would work best for the project and the client and the need. And regulations have been growing, and they and they they continue to. And for a long time, that was something that I that sort of chafed against. And and only in my time on the board do I realize the expertise of the people that are doing it, their their the intentions that go behind it, the knowledge that goes behind it, you know, the good that comes out of it. So I think all of these codes, as as numerous and you know sometimes onerous as they're becoming, there's there's a lot of good and a lot of expertise that is behind the, that activity. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us, Joe. You're welcome. All right. Thanks again to Joe Dang for taking the time to ch- chat with us. Uh, check out the show notes for links to things that we mentioned during the interview. Uh, you can find those show notes over at hvac360.com slash 111 111 so i hope this thank you so much for listening i hope this was helpful if you know somebody who needs to know more information about codes uh why don't you go ahead and uh, share this episode with them if you're not a subscriber currently to the weekly newsletter consider joining the growing community of people just like you over at hvac360.com for some more weekly goodness and again check out that membership site um it's, it's going to be a, a great opportunity for everybody to learn. Lastly, I'd be greatly honored if you'd consider leaving me a rating on Apple Podcast. It helps get the word out about uh, what we do here and uh, helps us grow the community and helps everybody out. So I'll give you a shout out if I see your uh, I'll see, uh, if I see your uh, review on Apple Podcasts. All right, well, that's a wrap for this week. I am Matt Nelson, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. And as always, know what you build and share what you know. 